You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Today we are concluding our series in uh, the book of 1 Peter. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Peter 5. I'm excited about today because as we've been going through 1 Peter, we're, we're seeing some things about our lives that, um, that are very much in step with some of the believers um, when Peter, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write this book to the believers that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, just in case you missed the, the last few weeks, um, this, this letter in the New Testament, toward the tail end of the New Testament in your Bible, if you have to get there, just open your Bible in half and kind of go to the, the right, I guess, if you have, all right, or just pull out the app on your phone, it's much easier. Um, but God, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write this letter to the believers who were scattered throughout Rome. And that doesn't mean anything to us today, except we have to understand a little bit of the context that they were under. They just were not in a place where people were really warm and welcome to them. Meaning this, they had a decision to make. They had a decision to make because when pressure hits us, we all have a decision to make, right? Especially if it's pressure against a truth that we believe about God. And we have a decision to make if we're going to crawl in a corner and just kind of hide away from everything or if we're going to continue to step out into the big things that God's called us to. Because anytime you step out into something big that God calls you to, it comes with a measure of risk. But God always meets us and resources us. He resources us not with just the things we need, but with his love, with his peace, and the things that we need emotionally as well to do what God has called us to do. And so the believers in that time were much like we are today. And so we have a decision to make, and the decision is this. Will we continue to live as a reflection of the love and the light of Jesus in the world that we are called to? Maybe your neighborhood's not so friendly. Maybe your workplace is not filled with the best people. Maybe your school, it's harder and harder to to live the things you believe. But the reality is this, is that through the Holy Spirit, God gives us the power to do those things. And so Peter, again, through the Holy Spirit, writes to the believers and says, listen, don't back into a corner. Keep going after those big things that God's called you to. And so we can gain encouragement from this as well. And so throughout the book of 1 Peter, we see all of these little keys and nuggets on how to do that, how to live as the light of Jesus Christ in the world. And today, as we conclude, it's no different. We're going to be talking about the care of God, the care of God. And it's so important, and I believe we were praying this morning, and I believe this, that one of the things that is attacked in our thinking so often is the reality of how God cares for us. Does God care for us? Does He care for the things that make us worry, that keep us up at night? Does He care for our finances? Does He care for our relationships? Does He care about the struggle in your workplace where you're just not quite in the right place and you, and you, you need to do something different? Does He care about that nagging issue that's facing you? Does he care about the back things in your life that that maybe have troubled you? Does he care about these things? And one of the greatest lies that the enemy can, can begin to sow into our thinking is that God does not care. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. And 1 Peter 5 teaches us the care of God. 
in three specific areas. It talks about the care of God in our pursuits, how we go after significance in our life when we begin to go after the big things that God's called us to. Every one of us has a search for significance in our life. We're looking for a meaning in our life. You can't deny it. We want to be good at what we set our hands to do. If you don't want that, you're going to fall into depression. You're going to begin to kind of have the Eeyore, what I call the Eeyore mindset. Oh boy, it doesn't matter, Pooh, if we get honey today or not. You know, we don't want to live as Eeyore, do we? We're not called to live as Eeyore. We're called to go after the things that God has put in our hearts to do. And God cares about those pursuits. He protects those pursuits inside of us. God also cares, and 1 Peter 5 talks about this, about our provision. God cares about our provision. He cares about the needs in our life. He cares about the things that get us by day to day. He cares about those things that sometimes, like I said before, we can lose sleep over. And then finally, God cares about our protection. God cares about our protection because here's just the simple truth concerning protection. That you have to be fearless to go after and chase after the things God has called you to. And if we're a people who are afraid, afraid that the enemy can get us or afraid that bad things are going to happen, some of us have wrong thinking concerning this. Can I just be blunt? Sometimes we think the second we start going after the things of God, the enemy just sends out all the forces of hell against us. And 1 Peter 5 tells us differently. It actually tells us that God cares so much that he has protected us. He has protected us, and the reason why is because He wants you to be fearless in pursuit of the things He has called you to. And so this morning, I believe what the, uh, the goal of the Holy Spirit is, to, is this, is to, to bring a bit of healing and a little bit of a renewed mind concerning how we see and understand the care of God in these areas of our life. Let's read in 1 Peter 5. We're going to start in verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. It says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober mind, and of sober mind. Your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Here we see the goal of these three things, understanding God's care in these three areas, we see the goal, what God is trying to accomplish, that his grace would abound inside of us, that we would be strong, firm, and steadfast. Basically, meaning this, God doesn't want you flopping around. God doesn't want you flopping around, being blown about by the circumstances of this life, the way that the wind blows things over, a powerful gust of wind blows things over. God wants you to stand firm. He wants you to stand firm in the things he has called you to. He wants you to, to believe and step out in faith into the destiny that he has called you to. He wants you to be firm. 
And so he understands in order for you and I to be firm, we have to understand, that we have to have a revelation of how much he cares for us. Can I say it like this? We need to understand that God is a good father. He is a good father. And, and, and this, is, this can be, again, I don't want to double dip on something that the Holy Spirit's already done here, but this can be something that is specifically challenging in our life if we don't have a model of what the good father looks like. The reality is, is that some people in this room did not grow up experiencing what a good father looks like naturally. And as a result, a thought pops into our thinking, our understanding that we cannot trust God to be good for us either. And under a wrong thinking, what happens is that we are continually trying to control the outcome of our life. And what God wants us to do is to let go of the control, to look up to Him, our hearts be filled with the revelation that He is the good Father and that He is the one who cares for us so that we can be firm and steadfast and the grace of God can abound inside of us. So let's look at all three of these areas really quick. The first area is in our pursuits. Our pursuits. And the key to living in the pursuits of God is staying in God's hand. Staying in God's hand. The scripture says it like this. To humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. That it, he will lift us up in due time. And, and, and the scripture uses a word that we just, well, let me not say we. Let me say sometimes I don't like. Humility. Humility. Humility is a tough word. It's a, it's a, it's a tough word to, to kind of swallow there and to, to get our hearts wrapped around. But humility is important. Humility is huge. Because what humility does is keeps us in the revelation that God is greater. That His wisdom is greater. His plans are greater. His purposes are greater. See, here's the thing is that we are going to trust something for our, the outcome of our life. For the pursuits of our life. We're either going to trust our own strength and our own resource, we're going to elevate ourselves, or we're going to humble ourselves under God's hand, knowing that in His perfect love, He is the one who perfectly exalts us at the right time. And all that is, is understanding that God's ways are greater. His wisdom is greater. His plans are greater. His purposes are greater. But isn't it tough sometimes to trust the Lord with that? When things aren't moving as fast as you like, isn't it tough sometimes? How many of you guys drive like me? Like, life in the fast lane. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just want to go, right? You're like, get nudged all the time. Hey, slow, <laughs> slow down. No, baby, it is a race to every light. You don't understand. The first one at the light wins every time. And you get points. At the end of the day, the person with the most points is the winner. This is how it works. <laughs> we don't like releasing control of anything or trusting sometimes. We live in a culture in the United States where we trust ourselves. We pull our own selves up. We've even heard statements like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, we, we understand this in our culture. But it contradicts how we trust God in the care of God, biblically speaking. And God looks at us and says, let go of your control. Trust me. Humble yourself before my hand. Why? Because it's only my hand that can put you in the places that is, will bring you the greatest fulfillment. It's not in any of our hands. It's not in any of our ability. 
And so God says this, and so we begin to see this idea of the importance of being able to humble ourselves under God's hand. Humility contradicts the worldly position, which is the pursuit and pride. Whenever we begin to pursue things in our own ability, really what we're saying is this, is that I can handle it. What that is truly, being blunt, is pride. It's pride. And if I can dip back to the very beginning of the story and show you how the enemy slipped in pride into our thinking and why humility is so important to our lives as we pursue the things God's called us to. Pride is as old as Adam and Eve. And if you think back on the story in the garden that you heard maybe as a child, you saw on the flannel board where the serpent Satan goes to Eve and asks her this one question. And it's a question that he and Eve both knew the answer to. And the question was this, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See, both Satan and Eve knew the answer to that question. But really what was being challenged is, does God know better for your life than you? Can you trust God? Can you humble yourself under God's hand and God's control? Or can you better do it yourself? And Eve actually responds with the correct answer and says, listen, yeah, we can eat of all of them except for this one that he said no to. And the devil's response to her is, he only said that because he doesn't want you to be like him. Now, time out. Park the bus. Because we actually know the whole story, don't we? We understand that before all this happened, that what happened to Satan while he was an angel in heaven? He elevated himself to be like God, didn't he? And what did God do? God cast him down to the earth, right? Cast him down out of heaven. So we see here that even Satan understood that the improbability, that pride does not have an end. Pride has a folly. But yet the opportunity to exalt yourself to the place of God, he used as an argument to deceive Eve. Pride is as old as Adam and Eve. But the problem with pride is this. Pride births a fatal outcome to our future. It is only in humility, humbling ourselves under God's hand, and trusting Him with the control of our life and allowing Him to elevate us do we bring fulfillment to our future. This is why the Scripture says it. And sometimes if we don't understand it from the place of the revelation of the goodness of God, humility seems like a hard thing to do. But when we have the revelation that God is good, that God is for us, it becomes something, the highest ultimate picture of His love for us. Because instead of saying, I'm going to let you run reckless and let you run off a cliff and let you follow things that are going to lead to dead ends and hopelessness, I love you so much that I'm going to put my hand upon you, Andy. And if you trust me, in the right moment, I'm going to take you higher than you ever thought you could go. Because that's a revelation of my love. And all we have to do is say, God, I trust you with my pursuits. Let me give you just a practical um, illustration of this, if that's okay. Because this is kind of where this boils down to, and I love this story, and it's a story we're probably all familiar with. It's a story of Joseph in the Old Testament who found himself in prison, and if anybody in the history of time has been wrongfully accused, it's Joseph. Joseph finds himself in prison for something he did not do with Potiphar's wife, 
and he's in prison. And while he's there, he meets two people. One of them is a cupbearer. And Joseph has something inside of him. See, not only does Joseph have a prophetic unction, like a prophetic calling that was given to him, that God spoke directly to him while he was a child, but he has that gift in operation throughout every stage of his life. Now, that's an amazing thing, except for when it's not elevating you. And can I just say something to you? Some of the hardest times to wait is when we know we're called, when we know there's a gift inside of us, but it hasn't yet made room. But can I tell you something else concerning that? Trust God, because he has the perfect timing for that. So go back to Joseph. The cupbearer has a dream. Joseph interprets it and says, listen, in a few days, you're going to be back before Pharaoh, and he's going to elevate you back to the position that you were once given. And he looks at the cupbearer and he says, hey, would you please remember me when you get out of here? Please remember me. Don't forget. Don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. Look, he is like, please, please. I am confident in my calling. I know what's happening here. God has spoken. It is going to happen. But when it happens, just remember this fellow right here. Remember the guy who gave you the good word, all right? And so sure enough, God does it. The cupbearer is back before Pharaoh. And guess what happens in Genesis 39 at the very end? You know what the last scripture is? The cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Oh my goodness. The cupbearer straight forgot about Joseph. You flip the page over to Genesis 40, and you know what we see? Two years later. Actually, the scripture in the NIV says a whole two years later, saying like basically Joseph had to wait two years before the fulfillment of what God had put in his life. But here's what happens. This is exciting. This is really exciting. Because God's timing is perfect. In 1 Peter 5, in due season, he will exalt you. See, God knew there was a need in Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh had a dream. And God knew there was a gift in Joseph. And God knew that he wasn't just saving. I'm going to jump over chairs in a second. God knew he was not just saving Egypt. God knew at the right timing, at the right place, that through Joseph and through his patience and through his trust and through his humility, God was going to save Israel. Because the gift in Joseph was needed at that exact moment, two years after that prophetic word to that cupbearer. And God said, I see you, Joseph, and I see this moment, and I see that you trust me, and you've always trusted me. Guess what? We all know the end of the story on this one, too. Joseph becomes a second in command of all of Egypt. And the scripture tells us at the end of Joseph's life, when his brothers are restored back to him and they see him, Joseph looks at him and gives this word, and it's the most powerful word because it proves the truth that when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and we trust him to exalt us, it is perfect. He looks at his brothers and he says, don't worry, don't be upset, don't be fearful. It was for this very reason that God allowed me to go through what I went through so that the right time I could be exalted to save you guys and save Israel. Isn't there a bigger testimony when we trust God to say, God, what you're doing is beyond us. What you're doing is bigger than me. And see, the reality of this, when we choose to humble ourselves under God's hand and trust him for our future, what he does 
is always bigger than us. It's always bigger than us. All right, so let's look at our provision real quick. All right. The key to trusting God and our provision comes when we allow God to care for us. 1 Peter 5.7 is a little bit of a tricky verse. It's, it's a wonderful verse. Cast your, the NIV says anxiety. Some of your translations may say care. It's the same word. It's the weighty things in your life. It's the simple things. How am I going to pay this bill? Can I just be real? How am I going to pay this bill? How is this relationship going to work out? How am I going to get this assignment done, this project done? How are we going to come together? How is communication going to be restored in my marriage? The things, I like to call them the things that wake you up at night, that steal your sleep. There's not one person here that doesn't identify with that. There's not one person here that hasn't been woken up in the middle of the night with a care, a concern, of, even a, a, a fear in the back of your mind and go, what am I going to do? And the most beautiful thing about 1 Peter 5, 7, it says this. God sees that. It's as if He sees every one of us in that moment and says, I don't want you to carry that. I'll take that, and here's why. I care. I love the things, your heart so much, that the things that burden your heart burden my heart. He asks us to give those things to Him, to trust Him with those things. And the key is releasing those things is, is allowing our thought life to line up with the truth of God's care. And, and, and this takes some practice because automatically, and I've, I've heard people say this to me, and they go, listen, I understand, Pastor, what the Scripture says to, to cast all my cares to the Lord, but I seem to be casting, but they come right back down on me. And I understand that. But can I tell you something, that, that God is good, but this takes time. And it takes time like this. It takes time as we begin to line our thoughts up with the truth of God's word concerning us. The truth of God's provision in his love for us. And that means this, is that we have to be active in our inventory of our thinking. When it, God commands us to cast our cares to him, he's not just saying blindly cast them up, throw them up in the air and walk away like they don't exist. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, give them to me, but I want you to begin to fill your thinking with the revelation of my sufficiency. That means you have to be in the Word. You have to be in the Word and understand and begin to put the Word in your heart and in your mind. Why? Because if you don't, you will fill your heart and your mind up with fear. You'll fill it up with fear. You'll begin to recite in your heart and in your mind the things that you don't have, the lack that you do have, the fear that you're walking in, all these things, and you'll begin to say things like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And let me tell you something. If you're a son or daughter of God, that is not truth for you. Because God does not call you into a place where you do not know what you are going to do. He calls you into a place where he resources you with wisdom and he resources you with love and he resources you with things you need to accomplish what he has called you to. Why? Because he is a good father. Let me show this to you in the scripture with the, uh, David, King David in Psalm 42. I'm going to read this to you. It's kind of a, it's a bit of a chunky psalm, but I want you to see this. And in your, in your Bible, if you open up, you're going to see that this was written by somebody else. And who that was was a musician that David hired to write this for him. David had a recording studio. It's just that simple. 
He has some songwriters and some musicians and people that put melody together. But this is a psalm from David's heart. And if anybody had any cause to be anxious in their life, it was David. You don't have to be a theologian to understand that David spent a majority of his life in between being anointed to be king and being king. And in that in-between, he lived with enemies. He was chased by a mad king who wanted to kill him. He had crazy men around him that couldn't decide if they wanted to fight for him or kill him. And throughout his life, he had cause to be anxious. But listen to this psalm. The beginning of it sounds very familiar. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for my God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Let me pause here and say this. One of the most beautiful things about Scripture, and we all need to embrace it, is that there are moments as it is in Psalm 42, that God allows us to see the conversation between the heart of a man and the heart of God. What does that mean? This is a bit raw and a bit real. But what we see here through David and through the Holy Spirit is this, is that David comes to a place where he begins to encourage himself in the Lord. He casts his care to God. Let's keep reading in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? David is saying here, soul, why are you anxious? Let me pause one more time just briefly and tell you this. The soul is the seat of your thinking and your passion. It's where you generate your energy and your concern from. And it must line up with the Spirit of God in you. Because your soul left alone, unchecked by the Holy Spirit in you, is going to run amok. And so this is David's conversation. And he's asking himself, this is an internal question. I want you to hear this. Why my soul? Why my feelings are you betraying me? Why my heart do you feel hopeless? Why my heart are you broken, depressed, filled with anxiety? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan the heights of the Hermon and Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Here's what we see here in this conversation with David, is that he is wrestling in his thought life, and he is learning how to cast his care on the Lord. And here comes a little secret to casting your care to the Lord, is that David understands a very powerful truth. That when hope is broken inside of us, we must command our soul to hope again. When hope is lost through anxiety, care, and concern, we must command our soul to hope again. 
And the way that David does this is by saying, I want you to remember and I want you to worship the God who is your Savior. And what David does next, because three times in Psalm 42, he says, and he commands his soul to hope. He commands his soul to hope. And I want to I give you something that's, that's a key here, and I want you to please hear this, that when you find yourself in a place of hopelessness, in a place of despair, there is something greater in you that has authority in your life to turn your hopelessness around. But you must command your soul to hope, to put its trust in the God who is the Savior. See, David mentions three things. He says, I will tell my soul about Jordan, about Hermon, and about Mount Mizrah. And each one of these things were significant to David as a testimony of God's faithfulness. At Jordan, God dried up the Jordan so Joshua and the people could walk across on dry land to where? The promised land. At Hermon, you might not know this, but in Joshua chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the scripture tells us that God, through Moses, defeated the enemies that were on the east side, the other side of the Jordan River. The enemies of God. And David was reminding himself of that battle. And then at Mount Mizra, it's believed this, that this is where God gave the law to Moses. And this is what, this is what David is doing, is he's reminding himself because all three of these areas are significant reminders of God the Savior in his life. When the law was handed down after 400 years of God's silence, that God broke through and spoke to his people and called them into destiny, when God defeated the enemies of Israel while Moses was, and God said, Moses, you're not going in the promised land, and it looked like it was doomed, and God said, no, I'm still going to use Moses to defeat the enemies of Israel. And when God dried up the Jordan so that Joshua could lead the people into the place of promise, and each one of those things, though David was not directly connected, stood as a testimony of God's faithfulness. And he reminded himself in the most desperate times when his soul was broken for his soul to begin to hope in the truth that God is the Savior. And there is an authority in your spirit to command your soul to hope again. And when anxiety fills your heart, you deposit that to God as the one who cares for you. And when it doesn't leave you alone, you command your soul to hope. Hope in what? The truth that God is for you, that He loves you, and He is calling you into purpose. You put your hope there. I don't care what your today looks like. And you got a firsthand lesson from David. His today looked junky. But he said, God, you promised. And just like you were faithful to Israel, just like you were faithful to Moses, and just like you were faithful to Joshua, you are faithful to me because the one who promises does not forget. He is true and he cares. And the things that are weighting me down right now, I will give to you and my soul will rejoice because you are going to complete the things that you've called me to. I trust you. I trust you. You're a good father. And then finally, our protection. Our protection. Justin, come on up. Please. The key to our possession is to, I'm sorry, the key to our protection is to stand firm in faith. To stand firm in faith. Let me break this down really quick in 1 Peter 5. I know, I know we've covered a lot of ground here, but some of you struggle in this area. 
I've struggled in this area. We get wonderfully big words from the Lord. We get these big promises that fill our hearts. And we say, look, the last time I did that, it felt like all hell broke loose against me when I trusted God. Man, I want to destroy that lie. I want to destroy that lie in the name of Jesus. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Get, let, me, let me rephrase this for you. Keep your eyes on the right things. Keep your eyes on the right things. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Oh, the devil's real. Newsflash. Uh, there's bad theology out there that says the devil's not real. <clears throat> the devil is real. He's a real adversary. He's out there. He rolls around like a roaring lion. But let's finish this. Let's flip the coin over and talk about the whole side of this. Though the devil is real, though the devil is an adversary, the devil is 110%, if it was possible, defeated. He is defeated. He is defeated. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Let me, let me show you. Because if we keep reading, what we see is this. In verse 9, two words, resist him. If somebody had any kind of authority to, to, to destroy your life, you wouldn't be able to resist them. See, it's the equivalent of this for some of us. It's like we have the best security system in our house. I mean, just everything, like sensors, everything. Woo, woo. You got the biggest dog. Now, can I tell you something? I've got two dogs. <laughs> oh, my two dogs. I got a big old Siberian Husky. Looks mean. She looks mean, but she's a lover. You come break into my house, she's going to lick you. She's going to be oh, I love you. Oh, let's go play. Right, let's run. Right, get the ball. But my multi-poo, Judo, his name's Judo because I'm just spoke prophetically in that dog. You're a fierce dog. Judo. That dog is the best guard dog I, I've ever seen. If a squirrel goes into our backyard, I get out with my gun. I'm like, oh, who's out there? Come on, Judo. It's just a squirrel. <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> We're practicing. And so, hey, dog, you can have the best security system. You can have armed guards outside. And some of us understand that. We got a partial revelation of the protection of God, but yet we're still looking out the window fearfully, like peeking through the curtain every five seconds going, huh, what's, huh, who's there? And we don't understand the full truth of the care of God concerning our protection, where he says, listen, keep your eyes on the right thing. Yes, there's an enemy out there, but that enemy can't stop you. And here's why you got to keep your eyes on the right thing. Keep your eyes on faith. Because all you have to do when you feel pressure is resist it, not in your strength, but in a place of faith. Let's keep reading. It says, resist him standing firm in faith. Standing firm in faith. Here's the key. Is that faith is not a passive thing. Faith is not a retreating thing. Faith is not a fearful thing. Faith is a courageous, advancing, moving forward thing. And the scripture says this, you don't have to worry about the adversary because the adversary is all de already defeated. What you have to do is keep your eyes fixed on what I'm calling you to do. You need to resist the enemy when opposition comes, when things come that start to push against you. Say, no, uh-uh, this is not my reality. 
It's amazing as people called of God, how quickly we are to cave to a little bit of pressure instead of standing in the truth of what we've been called to by faith. Hebrews 11, there's a testimony of what we call the hall of faith of men and women who pushed back the pressure, understanding that the enemy was already defeated in their behalf, and they kept moving forward to the things God had called them to. And it goes on and says this, let us carry on with such a great cloud of witnesses. What does that mean? That we've been given a model of what it is like to continue to push back past the resistance that we face and stand firmly in faith, faith advancing what God has called us to. And here's why. God cares. The reality of... Of, of retreating whenever we feel pressure is this. It becomes our reality. No, no, really, listen to what I just said. Because the second you retreat and the second you stop doing what God has called you to do because you faced a little bit of opposition, that becomes your reality. You become the person whose testimony says, I stopped when it got hard. And God wants you to be the person that says, I trusted God and saw his care and his love to protect me and carry me through to everything he called me to do. He is a good father. He is faithful. I have never been forsaken when I've stood in faith. He has never let me down. It has never fallen short. That's who you are called to be. This is, that is who you are. You are an overcomer. You are a people of faith. You are a people who understand the authority that has been given to you through Jesus Christ and the fact that the enemy, Satan, has been defeated in your behalf through Jesus Christ. That is who you are. You are a people of mighty faith. And again, the conclusion is very simply this. When we line these things up, and I believe there's a bit of a batting order, I believe that by choosing first to humble ourselves under God's hand, by understanding His radical care and love for our life and choosing to trust Him and commanding our soul to hope, by standing out in faith, the revelation of the grace of God fills our heart and we become steadfast. If there's anything today that the world has to see, that the people in your life that you know that don't yet know Jesus, and maybe you're here today because, and you don't know Jesus, but somebody who does know Jesus brought you. And here's why you're here is because you see steadfastness in their life. You see something that cannot be shaken, a love that cannot be shaken, a love that overcomes fear, a destiny, a faith that pulls them into the greatest days, even if they have setbacks occasionally. And there's anything you need to see today and to understand today is that that is available for you. If there's anything the world needs to see today is that the love and the care of the Father is there for them. And they need to embrace that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for your word, Lord. As we conclude this, God, I pray that that revelation would begin to fill our hearts, Lord, that, that truly, God, you would begin to just fill our hearts with the understanding of your goodness and your care and your love for us. God, that that would just, in a way, just overwhelm us. Lord, those of here that are, are just wrestling with some things, Lord, some struggles, some, some things, like I said, are keeping them up at night. God, 
Let the revelation of your love and your care fill their hearts. Lord, let an easiness come and fill them and let them begin to give that to you. Let hope fill their soul. Let the wisdom of God fill their mind that they would know what to do. Lord, that we would humble ourselves as a people under your hand. God, there's so many things that we can wrestle with in the world today. Things that concern us, things that concern our country. There's so many things, but God, we trust you. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. God, I thank you for destiny being released over people today. Holy Spirit, just begin to, to begin to just blow fresh destiny into people's lives. Remind them of the callings that you've given them, maybe that have been years gone by. God, remind them of that. Lord, and let the revelation of your perfect protection fill our hearts so that faith can abound, that we would continue to step out in faith, trusting you for the big things you've called us to, God. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for that, Lord. Let your grace abound in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Just stand to your feet, please. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being here on this Labor Day. I pray that you don't have to labor on Labor Day, that you get to enjoy something good. That's why I mowed my lawn yesterday. So I didn't have to do it tomorrow. Carl and Marilyn, y'all come up here, please. Keith, Carol, y'all come up here, please. We're going to have some folks up here that are ready to pray for you. Part of the care of God is understanding that, like I said, He cares for every need. And this morning, you might have a need of healing. You might have a need of forgiveness. Whatever the need is, you might need somebody to come in agreement with you. And please, I implore you that you would not leave here as we close this service, that you would not leave here with an unmet need, that you would come and allow somebody to pray with you, to love you, to encourage you. And so as we close this service, if that's you, just come forward as everybody's leaving and just come forward and receive prayer. But I declare over you in the name of Jesus the grace and the peace of God the abundance of God and the revelation of His goodness to fill your heart. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have a great week. We love you so much. If you need prayer, please come now.